Welcome to the Mindfulness in Medicine podcast, a podcast where we explore the role of mindfulness and related topics in medicine, created and produced by medical learners at McGill University. Hello, everyone. My name is Ashkan Salehi, and I'm a third-year medical student at McGill. I am joined today by my colleague, Zoe O'Neill, who is another third-year medical student at McGill, and Dr. Sabina Freeman who is an internal medicine physician at Vancouver General Hospital and St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver, British Columbia. She's also the co-chair of the Resident Wellness Committee. We'll be taking uh, our time to talk about residency, mindfulness, and healthy strategies for coping with challenges in medicine. Thank you for uh, joining us today, Dr. Freeman. Dr. Freeman is a Vancouver-based internal medicine resident who originally completed her medical education at the University of Toronto. She has experience in the mentorship and guidance of medical students and residents, especially in regards to residency and overcoming challenges related to medicine, and also being a healthcare professional experiencing this unique career path. Thank you for coming to our show, Dr. Freeman. Thanks for having me. We are super, super excited to have you on the on the show. And I think part of the cool thing about doing this is that we get to chat to people about how they ended up where they are in medicine. And I think that's our first question for you, just to get to know you a little bit more. Uh, what originally made you pursue medicine? Were there any specific experiences, whether they be like personal or educational, that led you to where you're at today? Absolutely. So... My grandmother was an ear, nose, throat doctor back in the Ukraine, and I think my family always wanted me to pursue medicine in her footsteps, but to be honest, I wasn't that keen when I was a kid. I think my dream was actually to be a teacher, and I really enjoyed that aspect, even like as a kid in elementary school, uh, teaching other people and seeing what my teachers do around me. It wasn't until I had a family member who went through um, a medical concern And feeling that frustration of one, not understanding what's going on and two, feeling frustrated that the doctors weren't the best at communicating with us, what we can do to then empower our loved one to get better. That made me really feel like I don't want to be in that position again. I would love to learn more about how the body works, how the mind works. I would love to be a teacher as a doctor and then empower the family members and the patients I work with to understand what's going on and how to do better by themselves, by their family members. So I think I kind of did a pretty quick spin around from wanting to be like a teacher or a writer or something more creative to wanting to pursue medicine. I did my undergrad at Toronto. I did a double major in neuroscience, but also in ethics, society, and law. I think because that kind of creative side of me hadn't quite gone away yet, And um, I really liked debating and just thinking about larger questions. And a lot of my ethics was bioethics. Um, And even thinking about sociology and law and kind of the rules in which we come to agree how to be a society and the rules under which we operate and the kind of people you see in society and how they get there, I think was pretty like powerful and informing the kind of person I am now and how I practice as a doctor as well. I think those are the main things really that kind of push me towards the path of medicine, I think. I love hearing about the different uh, unique backgrounds that people bring to medicine. And I'm sure that what you did is in your undergraduate uh, degree would be really useful now. And we can maybe get into that a little bit later, but uh, I understand now you're in internal medicine. So I'm interested in what it was or what it is about internal medicine that makes you excited. So 
I'll be honest, I don't think I understood what internal medicine was uh, as like an undergrad med student in the first two years. Because I think as a pre-clerk, you hear about like cardiology and gastroenterology and all the subspecialties of internal medicine. But I don't think it fully like captured what then just internal medicine is. And I ultimately am planning to pursue general internal medicine. So I think just that concept wasn't fully clear to me as a pre-clerk. So it wasn't until I did an actual internal medicine rotation as someone in third year that I was like, okay, I get it. So I think internal medicine is great in terms of like the problem solving and the thinking. A lot of it is being given a case from emerge from a referral that isn't quite clear and having to do kind of that digging. And I spend a lot of time digging. Uh, I think that's kind of the fun part is when I get a new consult, I honestly spend a lot of time going to the past. What's their past medical history? What led to this today? Um, No value exists on its own. Any hemoglobin has to be trended and I have to figure out how did we get to the hemoglobin today? Uh, And some people find that really annoying about internal medicine, but I think as like a detail oriented person, it really speaks to me to be able to go back and get a sense of how we got here today. I think the other thing I love about it is that you really focus on people as like entire people. A lot of the job of an internist is also the social stuff. How are they getting home? Who do they live with? Um, How are those people coping? And you work really, really closely with your allied health team. So your physiotherapist, your occupational therapist, your social workers, or your best friends, because a lot of our patients can't leave hospital unless they've been thoroughly worked up and optimized by the allied health team. And as someone who likes to work in teams, that was pretty exciting too. And I guess just in general of how much we focus on social history and how much time we spend with patients. So most of my day is spent other than charting and (laughs) talking and waxing poetic about things. Uh, Most of my day is spent with people and my consults are supposed to take like an hour, right? Uh, An average visit in a clinic with an internist can take longer than it does in other specialties because the whole point is that you're there to talk and to think and to examine and to put all these pieces together and I like talking to people I like being with people so I think that really spoke to me a lot and again you kind of see people often in acute sometimes life-changing things right like the new cancer diagnosis or the new heart failure diagnosis and that opportunity to kind of guide people and explain what is happening, why your life is different in what ways and how we can see you through it is really powerful. And I think there's a lot of specialties that do that in different ways. Like surgery often also sees people in acute changes in their life. And I think that opportunity to counsel people and help them make decisions that make right for them, as opposed to just saying, this is what you're getting now. um, is a really, I think it's an honor to be able to do that for people. You've just expanded my understanding of internal medicine way beyond just quote unquote clinical problem solving. Because so often when we talk about internal medicine, people are like, I love clinical problem solving. And that is obviously a big part of it. But you have just mentioned so many other things, too, that are really beautiful about uh, this area of medicine. So thank you. Really, thank you. And uh, in finding out, you know, how you discovered this career path, we're wondering then, beforehand, what were some of the biggest challenges that you faced going from undergraduate studies to medical school? And how did you cope with them? I think a big part of it was actually social. 
in the sense that, and I think you've probably heard this before, we keep siloing into smaller and smaller pockets of brilliance. So you go from like high school, maybe you were like the AA plus student and you felt pretty good about yourself. And then you got to undergrad and like everyone's really smart. And then you kind of start to feel dumb. Um, and then you take the top tier people from there that then decide to, for some reason, pursue medicine. And then you're siloed into this further pocket of brilliance. And I think a big part of it was just feeling like, am I supposed to be here? And that imposter syndrome, right? That feeling of, I don't know how I got here. Clearly it's a fluke. They sent the wrong email and uh, I am too dumb to be here. There's a bit of social anxiety. Um, I think it was interesting going from U of T undergrad to U of T med because almost part of me was like, I guess I don't have to fight that hard to make new friends here. My undergrad friends are just around the corner. And that fear of, am I fitting in? Are these my people? Have I made friends? And if I'm not, why am I not? And then obviously there was like the regular stress of everything's hard. I have to learn a ton. The thinking is different. I no longer had to just memorize stuff. I also had to be able to clinically apply things together to answer these longer questions. If I'm honest, I went to therapy. I, I actually looked it up to see if McGill had it too, but wellness counselors and psychotherapists are huge. And I remember I was really embarrassed about it before. I used to lie and just say that I was going to a meeting or something and just like, disappear for an hour for my friends and then come back. But I'm pretty open about it now because I realized how many other people I know that actually went to the counselor's office as well. And I think the power of going, especially to counselors that work specifically with med students and residents, is that they really help contextualize your feelings and are very clear that you're not alone and that they hear the same thing from all the other people walking through their office. And I think it really helped me break down where a lot of my thoughts are coming from my own patterns in kind of tumbling down this hopeless bit of like negative thoughts and how to kind of work through that and how much my own made up thoughts of what other people are thinking about me, right? Like projecting onto other people that they think I'm dumb or that they think I'm socially awkward was what was actually keeping me from then engaging with those people meaningfully. I think getting involved in some way or other was a great way to then again, bond with other people and really just Setting aside those pockets for things you enjoy doing helps makes it easier to then go back to the things that are nebulous, like studying and learning things. So I was involved with our musical. So we do Daffy every year and being able to do something creative that was still kind of related to medicine, but was more about the singing and the dancing and the storyline. Uh, I was creative like that. Yes, it meant I had a lot more less time to do studying the things I feel like I'm supposed to be doing but it made me use my time more effectively. By being more involved in other things, I didn't have all this time to study, so I just put it off for forever. I was actually much more effective in using my time. And then talking to friends, I think friends are your best therapists and just kind of being honest when things were tough and I felt a certain way. And then I think I'll talk more maybe about later on about some of the strategies and talking to you and your friends about stress. That sounds great, thank you. And how did you find your way to your career during clerkship? You know, how did you start this process of thinking about her career uh, despite the confusing and often intimidating environment of medicine? So I went into medicine wanting to do neurology. Hence, I did a neuroscience undergrad. And I think when I went into med school, the way I approached thinking about a career was thinking about the subject matters I enjoyed. So for example, I love the brain. I think the brain is super cool and figuring out 
why things are happening and how things manifest was really interesting. So I kind of did a bit of shadowing and pre-clerkship. I don't think it really matches up to what the life on the ward is when you're doing um, things in clerkship. So I did, I was lucky enough to be able to arrange a few days uh, on neurology and did some stroke neurology early on. And I actually found while I enjoyed the subject matter, I didn't really enjoy the day-to-day of what I did because sometimes I felt like, yes, I just spent all this time localizing the lesion, but I actually had like no effect on what I could do to patients, like for patients to make them feel better. Like once the stroke was there, if you can thrombolize, it's great. All of the time was just optimizing risk factors and hoping they got better. And I found that I actually didn't enjoy that part as much. And while again, there was a lot of mystery in neurology, I realized I do like being able to see some change and feeling like I made some difference. And that was really scary because I've been working towards neurology for many, many years. And there's nothing scarier than being months into clerkship and realizing the plan you had set aside for yourself was not going to work out. And then I started switching what I liked all the time. So I think the main ways I thought about it were what are things I enjoy doing? So for example, talking to people or thinking and digging and things like that. Then I thought about what subject matters are interesting. Do I like the bread and butter of that specialty? And then I thought about things like, am I good at this? Right? So for example, I'm really good with kids. I really enjoyed pediatrics. I like talking to children, but sometimes I felt frustrated about how much I was just going back and forth with their parents on how to like manage their child. And sometimes the bread and butter of pediatrics wasn't that interesting. And the rare parts of peds were depressing. So then I thought, while I loved kids and I thought it could be a pediatrician, I actually don't like the other parts of it. So I stepped back from that. Or maybe I liked obstetrics and gynecology. And then I realized that while I love counseling pregnant women, maybe I don't love the actual act of labor and delivery. Or maybe I find the environment stressful and I don't see myself with these people. Like maybe that wasn't my crew when I was on that rotation. I didn't feel like I fit in as much. Then I had an unexpected experience on general surgery. And this was pretty late in my year where surgery was something I didn't consider. I just didn't think I was smart enough for surgery. And I did well, like my residents and my staff actually quite liked working with me and said, Hey, you should do general surgery. And that was not something I ever expected to hear. And I, I think looking back, it was a mix of just, again, that low self-esteem moment, that feeling like I'm too dumb to do surgery and have someone say, actually, you'd be pretty good at this. That suddenly made me think maybe I should do this. I think surgery was really exciting. I think it was very, again, acute. You're seeing a lot of people that have, you know, big things that you can try to change and again, counsel them through. Do you actually want the surgery? Is this risk too great for you? And you fix stuff. They came in with an appendix and it hurt and they felt awful. You took the appendix out and they felt great. And it was really fast paced. You were constantly moving and doing things. And I kind of like that pace of work and things made sense, you know, Oftentimes when you got the concept from Emerge, you kind of knew what to do because you knew the gallbladder was thickened and it was cholecystitis or you, a lot of it was more planning in the OR and it was really cool to watch them figure out the best access or like how to get in there and do this fast. So I actually switched everything pretty late in my clerkship year and did all my electives in general surgery, uh, getting ready to apply for that. And perhaps no surprise to anyone, I didn't match in my first go because probably for a few reasons, but I think honestly, they probably caught on that I may not be 100% sold on this. Internal medicine was my last rotation of clerkship. So I, at that point, despite liking it and feeling like 
I get along with these people and then saying, Hey, you're good at this. And again, me feeling like I'm too dumb to do it, but then being like, no, I think you can. It felt too late to switch my electives another time, only a few months away from them starting. So I think by the time I got to my, when I'd finished my electives, I kind of, I think going through electives, I realized that I kind of missed talking to people. I think I preferred being in clinic than I preferred being on OR days. And in fact, if I was in the OR and there was some help needed doing consults in the eMERGE, I would very happily leave to go down to the eMERGE and just start seeing people again. And I think I was very good at kind of the quiet behind the scenes teamwork, but I wasn't very good at showing my knowledge and speaking up and being seen. And I think it made me be not as strong as an elective student on surgery as I could have been. So I didn't match. And I think I was the only person smiling on match day as an, in the unmatched meeting, because to me, it was a chance to step back and be like, what do I actually want to do? And it was really liberating to think about that. So I kind of ended up talking to various stakeholders. I talked to people that knew me, not from medicine, my friends, my partner. I spoke to uh, residents I'd worked with in a few different specialties that I felt I clicked with. I talked to my like portfolio mentors. I talked to other physician mentors that I felt like I clicked with and just kind of said, what would you do if you were in my position? And what makes you love your specialty? And what did you see in me maybe when we worked together? And I think by the end of that, I realized that maybe internal medicine was that missed opportunity that I can now re-explore. Being the stubborn person I am, I did all my electives in, in, in internal medicine instead of learning my lesson and trying to spread out a bit more. Um, and I think I had that feeling again of like, right, this is where I'm supposed to be. We had some post-CARMS electives. So I think what actually happened was after interviews and after I learned, um, after interviews, I went to an internal medicine elective and it was the first time I felt at home since starting the whole fourth year of medicine. And when I didn't match, that was halfway through that medicine elective. And I think that also helped me feed into being like, right, I think it was internal medicine I was supposed to do. So I went through my electives. I felt much more strong. I matched to UBC internal. And honestly, I think not matching is probably the best thing that happened to me because I was able to now be more confident in what I'm doing. And people switch specialties all the time. Like I definitely have friends who after a year of residency switched into something else. It's not impossible. It is tough. But I think ultimately you have to think about what do you want to do for the rest of your life and making sure that you take the time. So I think my biggest takeaways from my very convoluted journey are think about what you want to spend your day doing and how what brings you energy and what you enjoy think about the people around you and if you click with them and if you see yourself as one of them and I think the biggest thing for me is as a clerk sometimes you just feel so dumb and you feel so overwhelmed and I think you just stop and look at the people ahead of you because you're going to feel that way probably because you're a 30 med student and you're still figuring life out but look at what the junior resident's looking like. Look at what the senior resident gets to do. And then ultimately look at the staff. So when I was going through internal, they're asking me all these questions and asking things I didn't understand. And I was like, Ugh, I don't understand anything. I hate my life. But if I flip it, as residents, I get to teach all the time. And as a staff, teaching is a huge part of my uh, portfolio, right? And it's something I get to do pretty thoroughly in my day-to-day because -day, the whole point of the clinical teaching unit, I think you guys have a different ac acronym for it, but um, I think sometimes it's easy to just get lost in your day-to-day -day as a med student. And my final lesson is 
uh, don't get swayed by a good team. So I think on general surgery, I was blessed with a very good team that made me feel really good. And then it made me really easy to think that that's what I was going to feel on surgery all the time. So make sure you take a look at kind of what's around you. And again, some of these are probably obvious to other people and they maybe just weren't obvious to me in the moment. I think you touched on so many things that we all think about all the time. Just the experience of feeling like such an imposter at all times, essentially. And then the kinds of things that you should be taking in as useful data about like how you make your decisions and what's going to happen and the things that maybe shouldn't be weighing as heavily, which is it's really hard to know when you're a clerk and you're just consistently confused all the time, feeling like you don't know what you're doing. And then also trying to figure out what you're going to do for the rest of your life. It's a lot of pressure. And the story that you just shared, it normalizes that and is really, really useful as a current clerk who feels like that all the time. So I just wanted to say thank you for, for sharing the story. It's really, really powerful. It's really motivating. And really, we appreciate it because now we're thinking about well, we're going to try to take this clerkship process and understand how it then transfers onto residency and a career in the, uh, in the future. So do you mind telling us a little bit about your experience with the residency application process itself? So applying to residency is, again, stressful. And I think it's a lot of trying to create a story. Everything is about storytelling. And I think part of why maybe I sound like I can tell my story well here is because I've literally been doing it <laughs> all the time, especially when I was practicing for the interview. So I think the first step really is figuring out what you want to do. And that's what third year is supposed to be about. But I'll be honest, sometimes it does feel like you were supposed to enter third year already knowing what you wanted to do because you're supposed to be picking your electives really early on. And so obviously the key is, find electives and things you want to do or things you might want to do. And I think now they kind of force us to try to be a bit more broad and make sure you see a couple of things. Then the question is like, where do you think you might want to live and how is that going to factor into things? So I'm from Toronto. I lived in Toronto my entire life, but I made sure to do electives in a bunch of different places. And when I was there, I spent a lot of my evenings out I would do a hike, I would go get dinner, I would go downtown, and I actually tried to see what the city was like. I think this is harder now because obviously in this COVID world, like, <laughs> residents don't get to do that as much. I don't think it necessarily changes a huge thing, but thinking, are you a small city person? Are you a big city person? Are you a rural person? I also then had a partner that I met kind of at the end of my third year and suddenly his career decisions were also important. So for example, he's a computer programmer. Is a computer programmer going to excel in like Saskatchewan? Like maybe not as well as he might in some of the bigger cities. So I think that kind of weighed into what I thought about where it would apply as well. Um, and then what kind of things do those programs have that speak to me? How do they appreciate things like wellness? How do they support their residents? Do the residents look happy there? And I think those are things that you don't necessarily need to do electives to do. I think I tried to actually, when I was going through internal medicine, um, if I didn't go to a place, I actually called, I asked them to like give me contacts of residents or I would uh, talk to people I know in upper years who match there to be like, hey, are you happy? What does your thing look like? Like, what are your calls like? How do things look for you? I think the biggest difference between my first attempt at applying and my second year at a, uh, second attempt at applying were how much help I asked for. Ask for help and get advice. So for your actual application, I think the first time 
I was kind of, again, nervous. And I just kind of wrote my application, maybe asked a couple of people to look at it. When I applied my second time, I had any like career counselor, staff that I knew, resident, other med student, non-medical people, anyone that I could get to read it. Because the more people look at it and give you honest advice about this sounds good, this sounds genuine, this doesn't give you any extra info, like that's really key. And when it comes to writing your application, again, the narrative and the story is key. Why does it make sense that you applied here and that, or that you ended up at this specialty, right? So, oh, you love mentorship and teaching. And I can see because you've been doing peer tutoring since you were grade, in grade 12 or something and you were doing this undergrad extracurricular, like, oh, this makes sense how you ended up here. And even if things like didn't take an obvious path, Again, just finding things in your personality or in your story that would still say, yes, I, for some reason, applied to gen surge before. But that's because there's a lot of similarities between general surgery and internal medicine. And my personality fit both for different reasons, but ultimately they fit medicine better, right? And then the same thing for interviews. So I talked to a bunch of different people. What was your approach? And I practiced questions out loud and I met with any like counselor, uh, other person who's gone through it before and just tried to like run through practice questions and the more comfortable you get with reflecting on your story and just perfecting it so that you can then pull out pieces of different stories that you have and apply them uh, really helps as a third year med student try to pick out um, cases that stood out to you or conflicts that stood out to you or other things that in the future could be used as an answer for your uh, residency interview or your questions. So think about challenges, think about conflicts, think about positive experiences, think about staff that stood out to you. And you were like, that's the kind of staff I want to be. And what was it about them? And what is it that you're trying to do to now become them? Um, think about things that were hard or knowledge gaps and how you filled them. Or think about a patient that you like had a conflict whether there was something that wasn't getting through and how you worked around it or why it was a conflict and try to kind of collect that stuff earlier and another tip I would say is when you're on electives or even in third year if you think you might ask for a letter is take a note of cases that were notable and then at the end when you talk to your staff and you're like hey I'd love a letter send them a little email with your cv in it and also a list of cases with no patient identifying info and being like, here are some cases that we saw together and what I thought I did well on them, or maybe don't even say what you thought you did well on them, but cases that they can then use in their letter to make their letter stronger for you as well. And then, I don't know, general advice and other things like, it's all a hot mess and it's all stressful and take time for yourself. And that's okay. As you're going through interviews, there's gonna be interviews you feel like you bombed and interviews that you feel like you leave knowing, I have no idea how that went. And just trying to be kind to yourself and think that it's all a black box. It's very unclear sometimes why you get this interview and not this interview, why you get this residency and not this residency. But ultimately, there's no strategy to it. You know, apply to where you think you'll be happy. Some people just apply everywhere. And if honestly, you feel like you'd just be happy practicing medicine, then you should apply everywhere. And then when it comes to your ranking, just rank where you honestly would want to be and then let the system do its, do its job. <laughs> That was so many nuggets of wisdom. I am so happy that we captured all of that. 
it's really hard to even anticipate all of the things that you just spoke about when you're in the thick of clerkship. You barely have time to keep your energy up and like try and study on the side and then anticipating everything that you just spoke about, planning for it. It's really hard. So I'm really, really glad that we're having this uh, conversation. But you mentioned something at the end about generally looking after yourself. And that leads really nicely into what we wanted to talk about. Because in medical school, it's difficult and there are really challenging times. And there's ways that we can cope and things that we can do. And I'm sure that in your internal uh, medicine residency now, there are lots and lots of challenges and uh, we're wondering what it is that you do to stay well for, for yourself. I think there's like a few things that we talk about and then we hear about. So I guess I'll talk about some of the generic things. So obviously trying to exercise sometimes when you can, I think exercise is probably the first thing that falls off my list of to do's whenever things get stressful. Um, and it definitely adds up, but I think exercising will improve, uh, always improves my anxiety because all that energy just gets expended another way. I sleep better. And it does help you learn better. It helps. There's lots of studies showing, right, how healthy exercise is for you. So I think that was something I tried to get back into a lot of during that year between applications, but also my first year of residency. And then making time to debrief tough situations as well. So sometimes that's talking to people. I find it sometimes difficult to talk to peers that are going the same thing at the same time as me. And I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but I first noticed it in clerkship. So if you say to someone, oh my God, I just had a stressful call shift and I had to see like this many patients or something, or I got this little sleep, they'll be like, oh yeah, well, last week I had this call shift where I saw this many patients. I only saw that much. So I totally get you. And we, we did this before, right? This started in undergrad where I said, oh my God, I'm so stressed. I have two exams. Like, oh, you have two exams. Well, I have five exams and a paper tomorrow, right? So We've been doing this for forever and it's this weird thing where we have to one up each other on who is like more toxically <laughs> unwell right now. And I don't know why we're so proud of it, but like that somehow is the medal that we, we earn for ourselves. So I actually found in clerkship was when I moved away from talking to my medical friends and honestly talk to my non-medical friends much more often because they couldn't compete with me and they'd be like, wow, that's so hard. Whatever you're doing, that seems like so much work. So I think talk to your friends, but also sh- if you can try to change that culture in your friend groups in medicine. So when they tell you about a really tough experience, sometimes we feel like we are bonding by sharing our similar experience, but try to take a moment and instead actually just try to help them work through their experience. And instead of giving you, giving back your own thing, being like, Oh, that sounds really tough. Like, tell me more about that. How did you feel when that happened? How did you feel when that staff said that thing about you? And I think we need to learn a bit better on how to support each other in a more healthy way. So talk. Yeah, definitely don't keep all that stuff inside. Some things I find hard to talk about because I haven't fully um, explored what that is. And I actually write a lot. And this isn't writing because I'm like a great poet. I'm going to like publish it. I have like little journals. And sometimes if something was just really rough, maybe the first death that I experienced as a med student or the first surgery I was in and the, you know, I'm getting yelled at because I'm not sterile enough and everything smells weird. And like, there's burning happening. Right. I, I came home and I wrote and I would just take half an hour maybe. And I would just take a notebook and just write out what that experience felt like, smelled like, looked like. And sometimes it felt like that took it physically out of me and just put it down somewhere else. And then it was like, it was processed. I didn't have to carry that anymore. 
And I still do that sometimes when I have time or if something really cool happened. I still think try to find time for things to make you happy. And obviously that's the biggest issue is we don't have time. I think third year of clerkship is when I had the least time because I worked a full-time job and I studied a full-time. So I was suddenly like, that was so much, right? Because once you get into residency and to staff, like you just don't have evaluations as often. So you're not, yes, we should be studying and I am studying, but I'm studying in a different way. I'm literally studying to learn for myself. So next time I see that pa- a patient with TB, I'll know exactly what to do because from this person I saw today, I went to home, I read about it and now I'm going to use it next time. But it's not like I have an exam next week. <laughs> I need to know all of internal medicine until then. So I think in clerkship, it's hard to stay well in that way. But I think it's still important to say that like, Setting aside time to do something you enjoy and that will recharge you will actually make you more effective at everything else that you're doing. So rather than letting yourself burn out and then study a lot, but are you studying well? I don't know. (laughs) Try to set aside that time to do something that you enjoy. And then again, physical activity can look like different things. I think that's why I like being in BC is I like to hike and I like to be outside. So absolutely try to find little moments to go out there and breathe and be outside. Sometimes I feel like there's a lot that you have to do. And I don't know if you guys have this, but I feel that physically when things start to build up, I would say, figure out what your stress cue is and what feels like stress to you. So I know I'm stressed when I have a pit in my epigastrum and it's really tight and I feel a little bit nauseous. The other sign is if I can't watch a TV show because I feel stressed about it. Like if I'm watching TV and it makes me panic because I could be doing work right now, or I have so many things I'm supposed to be doing. Okay. Maybe I'm not okay. And so now I only got into this a couple weeks ago. I think I used to hold agendas, but you don't really have agendas anymore because it's really hard with everything you have to do to have an agenda. But I just started having to-do lists, personal to-do lists, academic to-do lists, extracurricular to-do lists. And I try to break up things into smaller things. Email this person, check. And sometimes when I feel like that ball is there, I pick a few things I can take off my to-do list and I will set aside maybe Sunday morning for a couple hours. I send my emails. I like do these things in advance. I take these little shots. I read about this thing and just chipping away at things that build up because I think that ball of energy in the epigastrum is just that feeling of things building up and me falling behind. And if I can feel like I can do some small things, even if I didn't do all of it, I can feel like I've moved forward and that makes me feel better. Yeah. I'm definitely (laughs) a big fan of the to-do list. Sometimes I find myself putting it on my to-do list after the fact, just because it makes me feel better. Absolutely. That little thing that is, even if it's the most minor thing, doing a chore or getting my laundry done, I still like to put it there. It's just like a a nice way to be like, oh, yeah, I did that. That was part of my day. I'm a big fan of the to do lists. That is key for the post call. I feel like post call when you can't think and your brain is fried, do your laundry, clean your apartment, do stuff that feels productive, but like doesn't take that much brain power and you feel so good. Exactly. So we understand that you are the co-chair of the resident wellness committee. What, uh, what drew you to that role and what does it involve? I think as you often do when you join a new thing, whether it's med school, it's residency, there's always opportunities to get involved that come flying at you right away. And you're like, oh, I should be involved in stuff, shouldn't I? And um, to be honest, in the beginning, I found it hard to figure out where I was going to land because I wanted to find a role that made sense with what I enjoy. And I felt like I would not just be doing it to put it on my resume and to say I did it, but something that actually did well for me. So I joined the residency wellness committee actually pretty late into the year. And it was only because I realized I go to most of the events and I 
have gotten to know most of the people on the committee and I'm like obviously an active person that's doing stuff so I might as well just help them plan these things so I joined the committee and then helped out for the rest of the year and then now I'm one of the co-chairs most of our job really is trying to we we're given like a pot of money and our role is to find ways to help support wellness in our residents. And I think it's more, it feels more like almost like a social committee. So in some ways it's thinking of things like that. So we plan things like the welcome barbecue, like a welcome barbecue in the beginning, or when the residents on match day, we're currently planning our match day thing or planning the farewell party when the R3s graduate and the core and medicine program and go onwards. Some things are smaller things like how can we identify times in the year that are tough? For example, winter, right? You're tired. It's hard for the year. It's raining all the time. It's dark. The seasonal affective disorder is revving up. What are you going to do? So for example, last year in February, we like made candy grams for uh, Valentine's Day and you were able to like send your friend a little candy gram. And in Zoom, it's even harder or like not Zoom in COVID. In the Zoom land, it's even harder to make connections with people, right? So we had to do this all virtually and people would virtually send us their things. We would write out their Valentine and then we would send it to each other and people got little pockets of candy and just kind of identifying times in the year and the types of things that people need to feel well, but also helping people make those connections. So for example, this year we started interest groups. So we started a huge spreadsheet. I love spreadsheets and people could create their own interest group, whether that's the board game club or the niche uh, artisan film club or the wine enthusiasts club. And then we allowed people to like sign up and then people, it was just other residents who are hosting these events. And it was just a way for people to remember that there's other things outside of medicine that they enjoyed and that make them people and then they could kind of bond with other residents over those things in a way that's not just about medicine we work pretty closely with the staff and with the chief residents and with other people to kind of get a sense of what their vibes are and how we can affect change and how we can then feed that back to the program of residents are feeling this or this is not being supported enough And then one of my favorite roles is also being there when new residents join. So we got to host events before residents even started back in June to allow them to meet each other and to learn more about the program and what we're doing. And I really love orienting people to new places and kind of trying to set that that mentality of like, this is the program you're joining. These are the people you're with. And wellness is important to us. And I want you guys to know that and that we're here to support you. So it's been fun to kind of be that face for some of the new incoming residents for sure. It's so refreshing to hear that's been such a big part of your residency experience so far. And, you know, it's hard to comment on what medicine used to be like and the the culture of wellness in medicine. But I do really feel like we're moving forward in a really good direction. And the fact that you're doing all of this as part of your residency wellness committee is testament to that. That all sounds really fun. And I'm not even that surprised that you said it's almost like a social committee because it's so much of wellness in medicine, I feel like comes from like the cohesion with our with our colleagues and creating a sense of community despite how busy it can feel at times. So that all sounds really wonderful. I'm wondering, just out of curiosity, how do you evaluate the state of attitudes towards wellness and medicine at UBC? Because that's maybe what you can comment on. Do you find that it's, it's a really positive environment to train But I think it is important to say that I'm talking from the UBC perspective, because I think not all programs will be the same. Um, Even if you're doing one specialty across the country, you'll have very different experiences, partially because of how big the program is or how small. 
right? Some of the smaller programs will get to know their staff much better, might be have different relationships with them. Um, and some people feel like when they come to big programs, it's overwhelming and you're just another name on a list, right? And then again, uh, is wellness, how big is wellness a priority to your program? So I think at UBC, it is quite a big priority and they've made that pretty clear. All the staff are quite invested. I feel really well supported and really well heard. I think the program had a really bad rep for overworking their residents and having like really crazy caseloads, really crazy overnights. And somehow that reputation is still stuck. I still hear that sometimes when I'm uh, answering questions to med students that are applying, but that has changed a ton in the last few years. And I think that's my number one favorite thing about our program is how reactive they are. So they actually hear what we say and then try to make actionable change that already I see happening. So, you know, if we're overloaded and the residents are, you know, not coping because we have too many, too high patient loads, the program responded with adding additional teams that are run by staff, where the whole point is just to take patients off the clinical teaching units where residents and med students work and just having staff quickly round on, you know, 12 people. And those are 12 people that now wouldn't be on the other services or overnight adding something called a CA. And so the CA is a position that up higher residents or fellows can get. And they get paid money to just help, say, answer all the ward calls overnight. So that now the residents who are on call can just focus on being on call and not um, have to also worry about patients who might be sick upstairs that are already admitted. So those are small things that really make a big difference in your experience and the stress in the everyday. And then again, just like putting money into wellness and having a wellness committee. Staff come out to our parties and they talk to us like humans, right? So when we had a barbecue earlier this year and we had it outdoors and we were pretty COVID safe about it, a lot of staff came and were so happy to finally get to know some of the residents they hadn't met as much in the last year because everything had kind of been shut down. So having people that are invested in our wellness and feeling that is really great as well. I think we still have burnout and we still have a lot of things that make us tired and unwell. So I wouldn't necessarily say that all these things will somehow fix everything. Cause I think just the experience of being a doctor and the experience of residency and everything will always be stressful, but it's that attitude and that support that makes it all kind of easier a bit. Thank you. That's really wonderful. And something that I want to hark back to is a very key observation that you had made that I think is just so enlightening, especially for many of us who haven't got to that stage. You mentioned how you can identify potentially your stress triggers and times of when you can feel, for example, anxiety based on, for you, the epigastric feeling you're describing in your body. That being mindful of a bodily sensation in the moment is, I think, something a lot of us have not learned to appreciate. And that really is a key to understanding our stressors and how to cope with these challenges. And it's such a great skill. So if you don't mind on that note, we wanted to ask you, how did you come to this, you know, kind of mindfulness as a strategy for coping with stress? And what is your story, your story of finding mindfulness? It's funny, because I remember um, when you first asked me to come on the podcast, I think mindfulness is a big kind of topic that you want to touch on. And I was like, I don't think I can say I'm mindful. I'm not sure I'm a, an expert in mindfulness. But I did do a bit of reading before this. I guess I don't call it mindfulness, but I guess I do do some mindful things all the time. I just don't call it a practice. And I think sometimes why I hate the word mindfulness is because I associate it with meditation and I am very bad at meditating. Uh, I cannot sit still for that long. <laughs> I get very stressed out when I meditate. I think this started more in early med school when again, I was having some of that anxiety, be it social, be it about 
more of the imposter syndrome stuff. I think part of it helped, again, going to therapy and seeing counselors because they could start to then identify patterns. So they could identify that like, oh, what you're describing now and the way you're thinking reminds me of a time before where you also kind of swirled out of control and you took things out of proportion. Part of it is about thinking how much of what uh, you're, you're picking up on has actually been said or has actually like happened and how much of it is you kind of projecting things you feel about yourself onto other people. I'm still not perfect at that. And I absolutely come off of like call shifts or after consults being like, they must think I'm an idiot or I miss a lot of things. And I'll be honest, especially if I have staff that are difficult to read, I ask for feedback. And so if I find I just went through a tough week and I don't know where I stand and I think I'm failing, I will say, hey, <laughs> just wanted to touch base and just maybe do a quick feedback on things are going okay because that's going to help me for next week to make sure I'm still performing well. Because the worst thing you can do is continue to do the things you're doing wrong this whole time. And honestly, a lot of the time, the feedback is much kinder than I thought it was going to be. And actually, they think you're doing well. I think the other big mistake that we make, which I think is really helpful as a trainee, I don't know about you guys, but I always compared myself to the person around me. And am I doing as well as them? But the person around me was a year ahead of me, two years ahead of me. As the third year med student, if I didn't know the thing that my senior resident knew, I'd be like, ah, oh, damn it. Like, <laughs> I'm done. Uh, no, they're just several years ahead in their training. And uh, I do that now all the time where I get, um, I, I keep trying to feel like, oh, they picked up on this thing that I didn't know the answer to. But I think just giving yourself that compassion, that self-compassion and saying that it's okay. Like this is training. You're supposed to learn. You're not supposed to come in here already having known everything. So that's part of it. I think picking up on your physical cues is important. How I got there, I think, was again a bit of pattern recognition. So it took me several times of feeling this way that I realized, oh, maybe this knot in my stomach and this inability to watch a movie is actually how I manifest my anxiety or my feeling of things are bottling up. And sometimes I would try to pick up on what things I was thinking about in those moments. So I guess that's kind of meditative, but I'm doing it while watching a movie. So, oh, I seem to be really focusing a lot on feeling dumb or not studying enough. Maybe I should set aside some time tonight when we get back to like read about something to address that. Or maybe I am feeling, yeah, if I'm feeling dumb at work and feeling stressed or something in that way, I'd like, can I study something to make myself feel better in that moment? Other moments that are interesting to be mindful um, or how you use them is when you walk places. So when you walk to work and you walk back from work, I make a practice to have my phone on silent and to try not to look at it and to be looking up at all times. So if you know me, I love talking to people when I'm walking places. I do all, most of my mentorship while walking my dog. And that's because I don't like to look down. Um, so what I'll do is I'll call somebody. And that's sometimes when I can call home. I can call my grandma and talk to her on my walk to work almost every day. Or if I'm doing mentorship when I'm walking my dog. So try to look up and just kind of use those isolated periods to look up and notice like what the trees look like today, what that apartment looks like, what that cute dog down the street looks like. And you can do the same thing in the hospital. So if you are walking from your call room to the eMERGE department, most often I will automatically take my phone out and scroll through Instagram uh, or answer a text or something like that. But if I feel like I'm especially wound up and just need to actually unwind, the best thing to do might be to leave the phone in your pocket. And as you're walking from point A to point B, look around 
maybe like pay attention to the soles of your feet or something as you're walking, pay attention to the sounds and the smells. There's a lot of paintings I didn't know we had uh, in the hospital. And I've learned that now because I look up sometimes when I walk from the call shift to the emergency department and I'm like, wow, we got some cool art in here. And then the last thing to be mindful of is if you leave a tense interaction with a patient, trying to think of why you didn't like that and what was it about it? What kind of counter-transference, right? Sometimes I remember I had this one interaction where I laughed and realized I was so wound up because they reminded me of my some mix of my grandma and my dad. Um, they just happened to also be Russian speaking, but I just remember feeling like, felt like I was arguing with my dad and it was really irritating. And I think the irritation was more this like weird association. Is it because they weren't listening to you and they weren't agreeing with you? Was it frustrating because you didn't know the answer or something and you were somehow reflecting that back on them? So if you have something that caused a trigger in you, just like stopping to think about that. And sometimes you don't have that time to stop. So what I would say, sometimes you need that at the end of the day, maybe it's before you go to bed, where if you had a patient death or if you had something that was tough at work, try to leave yourself time at the end of the day to process it. And ask your residents and staff to debrief if you had something that was tough emotionally that you want to process. And if you were out of code, if you were like in a, in a family meeting that was really charged, um, your residents and staff should be there to support you through that. So if you ever need to be like, that was a lot, we should talk about it. Um, I think people will always be happy to talk you through that as well. I, I'm really happy that you mentioned that in some ways, like you're still practicing a lot of mindfulness without practicing meditation necessarily in the way that we think about it formally. And I think this is a really important distinction that we try and make again and again through our initiative is that um, mindfulness doesn't need to be sitting on a cushion and being quiet. It can be an awareness of the physical body in moments of anxiety, or it can be noticing like really self-critical thoughts that then prompt you to go to your stuff and ask for feedback to try and just balance those self that self-criticism with the, a little bit more of the reality of what's going on. I think that's a really beautiful strategy and I plan to use it myself. So thank you for sharing that. That's amazing. One other thing that I took away from everything that you just shared was the value of reflection in all of this, everything that you're doing, it sounds like you you do find a moment, whether it's when you're walking to work or at the end of the day to just reflect on everything that's been going on and why you might feel a certain way. And I think that's really important in medicine because there's a lot of things that happen. And if you don't take the time to process them, then they really, they really can catch up to you. So I think that you've answered so many of our questions, but I just have one more. If you could kind of talk to your clerkship self in third year, this like stressed out student feeling like an imposter, is there anything that you would say to them that, that maybe might, you might find is useful for us to know now or for our colleagues to know? Absolutely. I think the biggest message is really to be kind to yourself. Medicine is wild. <laughs> Medicine and the whole process of getting there is so crazy when you think about it. And I think if you talk to anyone who's not in medicine and explain the journey you had to get here and the journey you're going to continue to go on, like it's, it's wild what we do sometimes. Think back to why your first question and like, why did you end up in medicine? And if you ever feel like you're getting torn apart in like, the just the minutia and the sighting and the knowing things and remembering how your EMR works go back to that 
And remember the privilege of just getting to talk to patients and the kind of stuff they open up to you about. So one of my favorite things to do on the ward is actually to talk about patient to patients about something that's not medical. So I often have random fun facts that I know about all my patients. So one of my patients right now, he's an artist. So every time I see him, I ask to see what he drew since the last time I saw him. Or like one of them has a cat or a dog. And I'll be like, show me a picture of the dog. And just remember that who you're working with, they're all people. Treat them like that was your grandma and um, or your friend that was in. And try to make those connections with people. As a med student, you have a lot more time than you will with, with patients than you might as a resident or as a staff, just because you have less of a patient load. Use that time, like get to know your people and, you know, treat, remember that they are people and get, find energy in that and find something beautiful in people you work with, right? Get to know your nurses' names and just remember that we're all people in this. And then, yeah, I think that reflection piece, even if it sounds all bogus, right? That's the kind of stuff that's, if you want to make, add a practicality piece to it that's what's going to help you with your applications and that's what's going to help you moving forward because that kind of reflective thinking is really important figuring out how you got to where you are and why you're a good clinician or why you're going to be good at the specialty so remember the things you're good at and don't just focus on the things you're bad at so every time you're like oh I missed this thing remember the other four things on the differential you did remember or like uh, I said this something to patient. I think well, the nice things you also said to them. So definitely try to be kind to yourself in that as well. As I said before, try to remember to still find time to talk to people, see your friends, have a drink, have a potluck, and watch a movie. And that is actually an important part of your week. And that is not you being lazy and not studying. That is you repowering and recharging to be able to do the other stuff. So make sure you do that stuff. And I think one of the last pieces is you, the residents and the staff you're working with are also people and they're, they were very close to where you were at. Uh, use them as resources. So do you have any advice for me? Do you, why do you like your specialty? I'm thinking, even if you're not even thinking about it, if you are thinking about the specialty, like what do you like about it? What's your day-to-day? See if anything clicks with you. And just be personable to them because honestly, I think I ride by my personality a lot because I just talk to my residents and staff uh, as a med student and just try to get the note to know them as people as well. And that kind of stuff is memorable to you. People remember how they felt with you. So try to connect with the people around you and get to know them and use their wealth of knowledge as well. Once again, thank you. Really, uh, we really appreciate all this uh, wisdom and guidance that you've provided us. Thanks so much for having me. Uh, This is really fun. I think this is my way to be mindful and reflective this morning. This has been another episode of Mindfulness in Medicine, a podcast created for medical learners by medical learners at McGill University. Get show notes at themindfulmedicallearner.com. If you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe, comment, and rate the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Or send us a message to the contact page on the mindfulmedicallearner.com.